Well, very good. Today we want to continue in our study of uh, Breshit, of Genesis. But, you know, I know that we have uh, lots of opportunity here at Beth Messiah to read all different parts of the Bible, right? And so you uh, have been uh, receiving... Uh, a little blurb on Isaiah a few times a week, about two times a week or so. And I hope that uh, during the 50 days of counting the Omer, uh, that uh, we're making the most of that as we go from, uh, you know, basically from Passover to the Feast of Weeks, Pesach to Shavuot, uh, looking forward, you know, to the, the end of that period of time. And of course, it's it's uh, depicted always, really, as a uh, as a journey. Uh, originally, one might say from um, you know from the Red Sea to Sinai. It's understood that way. A journey from uh, the early spring harvest to the late spring harvest, uh, agriculturally, uh, and then also a journey from uh, the resurrection of Yeshua uh, to. Uh, Yeshua's ascension and his subsequent pouring out of the Ruach of the Spirit of God in, in Acts chapter 2. And uh, I have the privilege of teaching at the Gospel Lighthouse uh, on Thursday nights. It's in uh, a church located in the, uh, on the east side of Columbus. And uh, we're, it's five weeks on the Jewish holidays. That's a lot of time uh, uh, for uh, about 20 hours altogether. So uh, there's a lot of extras that these folks are getting, but, but it was uh, very interesting when I brought up that, you know, we read Acts chapter 2, and you see it says Pentecost. The reason it's Pentecost is because it's the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot. And that was like a huge eye-opener, you know? Sometimes we, uh, we have the inoculation, I think, you know? You know what that means? In other words, we know just enough that, that it doesn't really excite us anymore. Because, oh, I know that, I go to Beth Messiah. But wow, that, that should be a big wow for us uh, all the time, you know, uh, to recognize that. Uh, so you have that journey. Then there's another journey uh, depicted there. One might say from the time that we embrace Yeshua as individuals to the time that we will uh, be resurrected and uh, live with him forever, you know. Uh, and so it's always a journey. So uh, the way we depict that each year, uh, we, uh, we have some kind of Bible reading challenge of some sort, usually, or reading a book, something, uh, so that we're uh, sort of moving along together. So I hope that your reading of the book of Isaiah uh, has been helpful uh, to you, hopefully seeing some things for the first time, uh, and maybe seeing some things that you've seen lots of times for the first time if you know what I mean, right? So now uh, we are up to chapter, uh, this, this week you'll be, you'll be getting something um, uh, probably on Monday on, from chapter 54 to 66, because we have 10 days, right? 10 days to the 50th day, and uh, that's a good way, 54 to 66. And uh, some wonderful things in there, and I hope that you're just noticing things along the way. I know that it's not an easy read. I mean, reading Isaiah is not always easy. It's not always, well, what do you mean by that? That's okay. But I think that as you read and you get the big picture, the big landscape with a few things pointed out, that it uh, is very beneficial. I know that I am, I am enjoying that, and I hope that you are too, as well as uh, taking one verse from Psalm 67 
and meditating on it each week. I know that one week we kind of went backwards a little bit. I made a mistake on one of the, uh, one of the uh, mailings. But you know what was wonderful about that? Someone pointed that out. And that was like so encouraging because that means someone was paying attention, right? And uh, so that was great, actually. Very encouraging. And uh, hopefully we're, we're moving forward on that. Uh, and, uh, and then Shavuot is coming. We'll be celebrating it on Tuesday night, uh, the 30th of May. And we'll be talking more about that in a few minutes. All right. Well, here we are in uh, Genesis chapter 4, and last week we talked about the Cain and Abel saga story there, uh, life outside the Garden of Eden, uh, and uh, how this is a story about, really, about Cain and uh, the ramifications of life outside of the Garden. We talked all about that. But now, uh, it's that forgotten part of chapter 4 that we want to uh, take a look at, that there's more to the story of Cain and Abel. There is a genealogy uh, at the end of the chapter, and it's actually uh, kind of important. Uh, And uh, uh, by the way, not by the way, uh, very importantly, the entire book of Genesis, actually, uh, you could make a case that really from... Uh, the beginning, the middle of chapter four to the end of the book is a genealogy with, with uh, narratives in the genealogies. And uh, that is uh, something that, that is a, a very important way to look at the, the story. For example, I'll just give you a quick illustration of that. We're not there. It'll be months. Uh, yeah, no, not really. But anyway, when we get to chapter 11, Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel is in there, right? And it's embedded in the middle of a genealogy, right? There's a genealogy leading up to it. There's a Tower of Babel, and then there's genealogy after it. And you could actually remove the narrative, and you'd have this particular genealogy. Some things are mentioned uh, several times there in, in chapter that genealogy is very interesting. But nevertheless, it's a story embedded in a genealogy. You could say the same thing about the Noah, uh, the whole story of the flood, that you have this genealogy uh, leading up to Noah, right? And then you have the story of the flood, and then you immediately have the genealogy of the three sons of Noah. And that leads to Babel. And then there's a little bit of more genealogy, and that leads to Abraham. See, and so uh, what we're what we will learn, especially the, the next time in chapter five, is that the, uh, the the reason it is written that way, perhaps, is that this is all about the calling of Abraham, like from the beginning. It's not like. It shifts gears in chapter 12, and you know uh, you have the first 11 chapters, and that's almost like another book of the Bible, and then you have chapter 12 that starts the story of Abraham. No, the genealogy goes all the way back to the beginning, see? And that is why a lot of people like to structure the, the entire book of Genesis uh, by uh, wherever it says the generations, in Hebrew, toldot, the, genera- the generations of, the generations of. Uh, and there's 10 of them, actually, in the book of Genesis. Uh, another great example is the Joseph story, beginning in chapter 37. Uh, you know, if you th- actually, what I should really say is take the MSI uh, uh, class on, uh, the, the, on the, the Torah, and we talk all about that, as well as, I'm sure, 
uh, as well as I'm sure Peter's uh, in his class on uh, Genesis. Uh, we talk, talk about uh, a lot of these things, I'm sure. And, uh, and so in chapter 37, that's the Joseph story. But it doesn't begin by saying this is the story of Joseph. It says these are the generations of the sons of Jacob. And so it's actually about the genealogy. It's about the 12 sons of Jacob, but told in a narrative, but talked about in a narrative form or given to us in the form of a story. Uh, and so that's why you could say that everything here is, uh, is a genealogy. And that's genealogies are very important, not only because they prove things, you know, and tell us uh, where Abraham comes from or where King David comes from or, or ultimately, of course, where Yeshua comes from. But it also tells us that God said for man to be fruitful and multiply. And what you have here is the process of man being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing the earth, the, the calling of mankind. Uh, but in particular, of course, the calling of the people of Israel. So, having said that, the way that uh, chapter uh, 4, the genealogy of Cain, in chapter 4 functions, it's, uh, it's really the introduction, one might say, to the genealogies. Because the first time we read that word toldot, or generations, is in chapter 5. Not with Cain's genealogy, but with Seth, with the, uh, the next son of uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, and so that tells us something. I said all of that, you might say. To tell, it tells us something about the genealogy of Cain, that it doesn't go anywhere. Uh, the genealogy of Cain is unto itself. It is, you might say, it is the preamble to the, gene the genealogies per se, you know, uh, that in uh, chapter 5, the genealogy of Seth begins with Adam and Eve, right? Uh, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam uh, and creation, which really is the beginning of those genealogies. Cain is unto itself, and it's there to teach us uh, some things about the way of Cain. Okay, all right, so in um, chapter 4, after it says in verse 16, then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden, the land of wandering, you might say, the land of, uh, of nomads, east of Eden. And remember that God told Cain that he was to be a wanderer, a nomad. And this troubled him greatly. And this plays uh, a little bit into some things going on in, uh, in the genealogy. Okay, now in verse 17, it says, And Cain had relations with his wife, and, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Okay, so there's a few things that we need to say. I uh, don't have time to explore in, uh, you know, the whole thing, but let me say that don't be thrown by the fact that there are s some of the same names in the genealogy of Cain as there is in the genealogy of Seth. 
It does not necessarily mean that it's actually one genealogy and that these are the same people, okay? There are plenty of uniquenesses about the order of these names as well as uh, the function of these names uh, in, in these texts to recognize that these are two different genealogies, okay? So Enoch here... Uh, is the son of Cain. And it says immediately, and he built a city. Now, there is a difference of opinion about who the he is here. Okay? Is he Cain or is he Enoch here? Okay? Some would say that, uh, uh, that uh, Cain built a city because of the way it's written at the end of the sentence. And he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. And so Enoch is the son of Cain, right? So perhaps uh, Cain built this city. Now that's a problem. Cain is not supposed to be building cities. Cain is supposed to be wandering. Cain is not supposed to be one who... Now why would one build a city in that, in that day? One would build a city for the sake of security. One would build a city with walls around it. One would build a city for purposes of, uh, of protection. And so immediately what we see, we learn about Cain, uh, and even if his son built it, you know, we could say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, okay? That already Cain and his family are moving away from, again, the command of God, of what God told them uh, uh, to do, Okay? We also see, perhaps, uh, here, the very beginning of, of urbanization, of uh, the concept of, uh, of a city uh, right away. And we're going to see some other unique things in these verses about the beginnings of things. And they, they tell us something. All right. So that's one thing we learn. Now in verse 18, Now to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad became the father of Mahuyael, and Mahuyael became the father of Methushael, and Methushael became the father of Lamach. Okay? Those are specific names. Uh, uh, but what is interesting is that we jump, basically, several generations uh, from Enoch, who builds a city, to, Lama, to Lamach, who uh, is uh, the father of three sons, uh, and one who is prideful, a murderer, uh, and one who has a number of wives. So in this genealogy of Cain, there's two names that are like the headliners. Enoch, having to do with urbanization, building a city, and then Lamach, having to do with murder, pride, uh, and uh, bigamy. Okay. Uh, so uh, Cain has some real stars here, okay? All right. So it says right away about Lamach in verse 19, And Lamach took to himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the, na the name of the other is Zillah. And Ada gave birth to Yavel, and he is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Yuval, or Jubal as it's pronounced here, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. As for Zillah, she also gave birth to Tubal-Cain, the forger of implements of bronze and iron. 
and the sister and the sister of Tubal Cain was Nama. So what we have here is like another little genealogy, uh, you know, in the in the uh, in the middle of the whole in the middle of the whole thing here, uh, Lamach's family. So it's interesting that this genealogy takes the time to talk about Lamach and his wives and his sons and what they do and and so on. It, it, it goes to show you that this genealogy wants us to put a spotlight uh, here on these, you know, on these people. Okay? So we see he has two wives already. That this is the, the first time we see that, that uh, multiple wives in the descendants of Cain, right? And then we see that his uh, sons are the originators of things. Uh, Yavel, those who dwell in tents and have livestock. Now, uh, some might say, well, what about Abel? Didn't Abel uh, have livestock? Didn't Abel uh, bring a, a sacrifice? Yes, it says Abel brought a sacrifice. But it seems that what Yavel is the father of is more like a farming farmers with with you know lots of uh, lots of animals that that uh, uh, that type of thing. Uh, the, uh, he's the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And then Yuval, that's very interesting. That can mean one of two things here: the father of music, perhaps, or the ones who play these two particular instruments. Okay, probably, probably. It's uh, speaking more about music, okay? Or musical instruments, perhaps, musical instruments. Uh, and then you have Tubal Cain, the forger of implements of bronze and iron. Uh, and so what you have here is the makings of civilization. Uh, you have here the description at the beginning of Genesis of where, so to speak, where civilization comes from urbanization, the use of implements, uh, farming, livestock, uh, um, you know, and, of, and uh, cultural things like, uh, like music. Now, what I think something that is uh, very interesting about this is it doesn't say anything negative about these things. I mean, we should not read into it that culture is negative. I can just hear preaching on that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But anyway... Uh, you know, that, uh, that city life is of the devil, uh, music is of the devil, but the making of implements, wait a minute, how could that one be of the devil? We use them in farming and in other things as well, right? So let me just say, living in cities is not of the devil, right? Uh, musical instruments are not of the devil, right? Uh, nor are um, uh, implements, forger of implements. But it does tell us the beginning of culture, civilization. And, you know, in uh, the ancient Near Eastern uh, texts, they all have stories of the beginning of civilization, where it all comes from. Not just where mankind comes from, but where like everything around us comes from. And what's interesting is, is that in all of those, all of those, it is the gods who create you know, the all uh, urbanization uh, and civilization. But what the Bible clearly is teaching us, clearly is teaching us, is that these are human institutions, human developments, 
Uh, and in a way, the text goes out of its way to, you know, to tell us that, that these people are the fathers or the uh, ones who uh, uh, originated you know, these, uh, these kinds of things. Uh, and, and so we learn there uh, uh, where we could say civilization, to use the big term to describe all these things, uh, uh, you know, culture and civilization, where they, uh, where they come from. But we can see how the development of these things uh, take a turn uh, without the presence of God and degenerate. And that's very interesting because as time goes on, quite clearly, uh, as the genealogies unfold, and, by, and then when you get to Abraham and his sons, Clearly, the culture around, you know, the Jewish people, Israel, did not drop out of Mars, you know, into the world, right? Uh, and they're also not just a theological construct, like an idea, uh, you know, but real people living in a real world whom God visited, right? And they were part of the culture of the world, part of the, part of the world in which they lived. But God called them to be different. God called them to be not to uh, not to live as uh, in, in a, in a uh, you know as a reclusive people, not to live as a reclusive people, but to be different. And that's why you have passages like um, in the book of Leviticus, you know, in chapter eighteen, where it says. Uh, um, Thus the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt, where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So, you know, it's kind of interesting. It says they're in the wilderness, right? So they come from Egypt and they're going to Canaan. So, you know, uh, don't participate in, where you, in, the, you know, in the way of life where you come from, nor in the way of life of where you're going. But it's like the third way, you know, my way, the way of God, see? Uh, and, uh, and so very important that, that we understand that, that the culture in itself there's, is, is not bad, but apart from God, it degenerates. And you can see, uh, you know, it's beyond uh, this morning, but you could do an interesting study of how animals, um, music and culture and implements of bronze and iron were used in very ungodly ways as time goes on, as people go on. One of them, it, one of, you know, the most obvious one to me is the forger of all implements, bronze and iron. Certainly what they end up becoming used for are, are implements of war uh, and great destruction, you know? Uh, and it's interesting, you know the passage in Isaiah where the uh, implements of war are turning in, turn into farming, uh, into farming uh, materials, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know, your swords into plowshares and so on. Uh, how important that is. And, and that's a picture of what, what God desired from the beginning, right? That uh, we're talking about in a new heaven and a new earth and in a new Jerusalem, that's how it will be. It's in the same context as the wolf 
laying down with the lamb. By the way, it's not the lion that lays down with the lamb. <laughs> Just thought I'd tell you. Uh, read the Bible. Yeah. Uh, the wolf lays down with the lamb. Why the wolf and the lamb? Because they are enemies, right? But, but there will be peace. Be peace. Uh, the way it was meant to be. And so that is one example. And there are, there are many others uh, uh, here of the human institutions uh, that are created. Now, man was created, we were created to be image bearers of God, to subdue the earth, to take care of it, to be God's stewards of, of this world. And so the creation of human institutions is not a bad thing. It's kind of what humans are supposed to do. The problem is uh, when we rely on them or make gods out of them or trust our own human ingenuity uh, toward progress. And you know, this was uh, uh, very interesting. At the, um, around the turn of the 20th, into the 20th century, there was, a, 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 theologically, this is very interesting, culturally in, in Western, the Western world, there was really this idea that man, the progress of man is going to ultimately create a utopia. The progress of man what man can create is going to create a utopia. Theologically, this became reflected in a belief called post-millennialism, which means, ultimately, that as, uh, as the body of Messiah, will, it will ultimately get better and better and better, and, th and then the Lord will return, you know? Sort of like the, the theological view of, of human progress, okay? Now, you know, there was something that took place in the early part of the 20th century which bashed that, which, you know, it was like a, uh, you, you remove one of the dominoes and the whole thing falls, you remove one of the cards and the house of cards falls. Do you know what that was? Something, a big tragedy at the beginning of the 20th century, not, the, not 1901, but toward the beginning of the 20th century. Maybe you saw the movie, The Sinking of the Titanic. The Sinking of the Titanic. Uh, brought about a titanic shift in people's thinking because this boat was supposed to be indestructible. This is indestructible. This, this was a testimony of the progress of mankind. And we know what happened. And so it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Uh, and, and so it, how important uh, is it for us to recognize that the progress of man in the creation of human institutions, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it isn't the end game. Without God, it degenerates. It ultimately fails. It rusts. It loses its value. See, And, uh, and so how important is it for, uh, for those of us that may be engaged you know, in, uh, in our occupations and in our careers, in uh, hopefully doing good in whatever it is, you know, that we're engaged in, that we're framing it all as my calling of serving God and being ethical and moral and, and having the right motives and, and, uh, and understanding that the future is not in human progress because if the future is in human progress, we are a sorry humanity, Right? Uh, and, uh, you know, I, um, I meant to find this quote, but I didn't find it, and so I'm going to paraphrase it, okay? Which certainly will take the power out of it, I'm sure. But anyway, Edward R. Murrow, 
right, uh, who was a, a famous a journalist during World, World War II and following, commented on the creation of, uh, the, de- the creation, the development, the invention of television, about how this invention could be fantastic for humanity. Fantastic. Being able to educate and being able to transmit and communicate in great ways and great things. But on the other hand, it has the power to destroy. And it's up to us to decide what it will be. And isn't that true also of the next generation of invention and development of the internet and its associated everything else that that goes along with it? It has tremendous power to teach and to educate uh, and, and do good things. But because of a rebellion against God, we can't help ourselves but turn something that could be very valuable into something horrible and destructive in so many ways. Not in and of itself, but what we do with it, you know? Uh, and, and we could uh, think about that in, in, in many areas of life. It can be great. The, inst- the human institutions that are developed over time can be great. But, be- but we can't help ourselves. Like Adam and Eve, like Cain, like the sons of Cain, like Noah and his sons, like those who built the Tower of Babel. Every opportunity to move forward, but they keep moving east of Eden, so to speak, farther and farther away to where we are now, see? But God has called you and I as Messiah followers, right? God has recreated us, right? Now we can fulfill the calling that God has given to us in our lives. And so that means making a difference, not just in my own personal self and my own feelings and my own attitudes and, you know, and my own temperament and everything about me, but I can make a difference in the culture of the world and in the human institutions of this world. And how powerful indeed is is that? All right. And so we see the creation of these human institutions. Now we read more about Lamech and and his wives. And of course, uh, verse 23 is written like a little song, a little poem, again, that stands out here in this text. And Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. Okay? You know, what's interesting about that, if you study the Psalms in Hebrew, you know that there's this interesting thing in the Hebrew Psalms called parallelism. That means that you ever notice whenever you read any kind of poetry in the Bible, there's two lines, two lines, two lines, two lines, maybe sometimes three lines, you know, uh, but two lines, two lines, two lines. And the second line relates to the first line. It either is accentuating it or it's saying the opposite of it or something else. So uh, what is here is that uh, Bible scholars wrestle with this Because where it says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me, do not relate. In other words, he's not saying the same thing twice. He's saying how, what a horrible human being he is. I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking, accentuating that. Lamech is what happens when Cain 
walks away from God. We see the, uh, uh, the downward uh, cycle of Cain's family. And we see more murder. You know, Cain, the first murder in the Bible. Now we see Lamech follows, you know, in the footsteps of his, uh, of his ancestor. And if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. This is what, this is what Lamech is saying. Okay, this is not like uh, what uh, uh, like what Moses or the narrator is saying. This is what Lamech is saying about himself, you know? And it's just full of pride, hubris, murder, hatred. And that is where Cain's ancestry goes. That is the descendants of the Cain. Now, there's a surprise at the end of the chapter, right? And Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and his name was Shet, or Seth. For she said, God has appointed to me another offspring uh, in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. First of all, just stopping right there, it's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, where we read, first of all, Seth. If, for she said, God has appointed me. Shet. In, in Hebrew, appoint or establish. It's more like establish, established for me. Not just like appointing someone to a task, but establishing someone in a position, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, and also, what's also interesting is the word seed is used. Uh, another offspring. It's kind of interesting just when you observe the text. When Cain is born, she says, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord, now she says, God, uh, God has appointed to me another seed in place of Abel, for Cain uh, uh, killed him. So clearly we see that Seth is born, and, uh, and now there's, there's a difference. And now there's a difference. And what do we read? And to, and to Seth, to him was born a son, and he called his name Enosh, which is... <laughs> Enosh is simply another word for man. This is another word for man, okay? Then men, or then people, began to call upon the name of the Lord. So clearly what we see is Cain and Seth, and two genealogies. Cain, who does have a genealogy, who does have a, a progeny, who has a legacy, who has children, but the legacy uh, ultimately is one of uh, destruction and a, a godless uh, way of life. And clearly, when we read about Seth, Seth is the alternative to, uh, to Cain. And men begin to call upon the name of the Lord, meaning Cain's progeny do not call upon the name of the Lord. Okay? And then you don't read about more descendants of Cain. It's, so, it, so it's like Cain's uh, uh, genealogy is localized, doesn't have a future, and we see it epitomizes this is what happens outside of the garden. Yes, the creation of human institutions. You know, there's still that ember that burns. Man created in the image and likeness of God does create, Right? But as we said, uh, while human institutions are good, without God, they degenerate. And of course, uh, we'll see that 
with the Tower of Babel, right? Here you have urbanization, and then we have urbanization going awry, you know, in, in chapter 11. And we could go all the way through the Bible with understanding that. But we want to take a look at the beginning, just the beginning of chapter 5, because you need the beginning of chapter 5 here. Remember, there were no chapter divisions, you know, at the, when this was written, okay? So now it says, this is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. So it's like going back to the beginning, right? So we're going to see Seth's genealogy. It's like, it's as if Cain never lived, you know? Now we see the generations of mankind goes from Adam to Seth. Adam to Seth, and ultimately to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Messiah. Right. Okay. So he created the male and female, and he blessed them uh, and named them man in the day when they were created. So he's sort of, uh, you know, reiterating, uh, reiterating what we see uh, earlier, uh, you know, in the very beginning of uh, the begin- very beginning of the book. All right. Now, it says here, when Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and he named him Seth. Okay. I, I, and so I, we see here the beginning of the line of Seth. And now we're going to see I, uh, all the way through this, uh, uh, the descendants of, of, uh, of Adam and Eve through Seth some of them have similar names or the same name, Enoch, for example, but it's a different person. Uh, Lamech, different person, all right? Uh, but there's a couple of things to point out, okay? And that is first, this is the first example of election in the Bible, a chosen one, okay? One could say that Abel, maybe Abel was the first, and he is uh, killed by his brother. But now, very importantly, Seth is, is like the chosen one, the chosen one. And now it's interesting because what you also see here uh, is um, it is the, uh, the second born, or in this case, the third born, who receives, one might say, the blessing, right? And you see that the, you know, the, the older shall serve the younger all the way through these genealogies. And what that, the reason for that is to teach us about election and that not just a natural choice like the world around us, but God chooses in his own calling the one who will be, the one who will serve in a particular way, the one who will be a father of people, of peoples. And so Seth becomes that person in the huge, you know, in the huge scheme of things, right? Uh, so Seth plays a very important uh, a very important role, uh, very important role here. Then there's something else. So Cain's genealogy begins with Cain and ends with Lamech. And what a train wreck at the end. I mean, you know, ends with Lamech, not some great descendant, right? But notice the way the genealogy of Seth is laid out. It goes to the end of chapter 5. And we read at the end of chapter 5, now, the next time we'll go through this chapter and understand a number of different things, and we'll reiterate this, but I'm just going to mention it here. Uh, and it is kind of interesting. You have another Lamech. Lamech lived 182 years, 
and became the father of his son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord had cursed. The one, this one shall give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. And so here we see that this portion of the huge genealogy of Genesis ends with the birth of Noah, not Cain's descendant Lamech with wives and murder and pride, but with Noah, see? And so it's clearly that the, the text is clearly teaching us, uh, you know, that, uh, uh, that God has chosen Seth and that even outside of Eden, even outside of Eden, there is hope when we read through the, um, these genealogies. And I'll say one other thing about this, and uh, uh, next week we'll be talking about Shavuot, so in a couple of weeks we'll, we'll uh, continue, and by then you will have forgotten this anyway, right? So let me just say this, and that is, if you do the math in chapter 5 about how many years people lived and then had sons and daughters and they lived so many more years after that, what you end up with is, the first child born after the death of Adam is Noah. And that's pretty significant. We'll talk about that ne next time. Uh, and so uh, uh, clearly we see uh, uh, through this some great, uh, great lessons. One is God keeps his promises. Man continues to be fruitful and multiply. And that the, uh, having generations of children is very important and what they do. And that God was uh, kept his word to Cain, but Cain and his descendants immediately uh, do not obey God, build a city, and you end up with an, an exacerbation of Cain's sins, sort of, you know, like um, a really like, you know, moving forward in, in, in that way. Uh, and we see the creation of human institutions. And we talked about uh, what ultimately happens to human institutions without the presence of God. But then we have the alternative. Seth is born. Seth, who becomes the, really the father of uh, humanity after Adam and Eve. Uh, of, uh, of the, of the we'll say, of the line of humanity that ultimately brings forth Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Yeshua. Uh, and so uh, uh, clearly, uh, God has not left man to his own devices, but that he does give Adam and Eve a child who ultimately is the father of uh, the deliverer. Uh, and so God does give us that hope. And so this is in a very broad way, the introduction of, of why God calls a chosen people or how God calls a chosen people and the purpose of a chosen people. Uh, and uh, and all of that and 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 so we see here uh, that uh, uh, while the world degenerates, God never gives up on on it, and ultimately we will eventually come to Noah, uh, whom uh, God finds uh, holy and blameless in His day. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for uh, your faithfulness in uh, in. Uh, fulfilling your promise to Cain. And also, Lord, that that was not the end of the line. 
that humanity was not stuck. But while Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters, you raised up one who was appointed, appointed to be the father of the deliverer. And that indeed is Seth. You established him. And Lord, and thank you, God, that even though there have been multiple, there have been multiple failures all along the way, you have been faithful to your word and you raised up an Abraham who also had his moments of failure. And Isaac, who had his moments of failure. And Jacob, who had his moments of failure. But you, you have established this line and you have established your promise. And Lord, we thank you that even we ourselves, who have been called out, who belong to the Messiah, we also are constantly in need of forgiveness, Lord. But thank you that you continue this move forward in, in history and bringing it to a grand conclusion. Not in the progress of man, not in the progress of human institutions, but in Yeshua, uh, the son of Seth, the son of Noah, the son of Abraham, son of Isaac, son of Jacob, and the son of David, your son. We thank you for that, Lord. And we look forward to his return. And we pray in Messiah's name.